Hello, and thank you for downloading this programme from Starry Decisis Radio, where we discuss all the judgments of the United Kingdom Supreme Court. My name is Mark Tottenham. In this programme, I shall be discussing a case about two women who were UK nationals married to foreign men. In both cases, the husbands were unable to speak English and were restricted from moving to the UK by virtue of a new requirement that they pass an English language test prior to coming to live there. The question was whether this requirement was in breach of the European Convention on Human Rights, and specifically the right to family life, and whether it was irrational. The citation for the case is R. Ali v. Home Secretary, 2015, UK 68. The judgment was delivered on the 18th of November 2015, and the lead judgment was delivered by Lady Hale, with two concurring judgments by Lord Hodge and Lord Neuberger. The facts of the case were as follows. One of the women, Ms Beebe, was from the West Midlands of England. She had married a Pakistani national in 2009 in Pakistan and they had one child. She lived with their child in England and she wanted her husband to come and live with them. He spoke only Urdu and lived in a remote region of Pakistan. The evidence was that there were no English language courses available near where he lived and it would be prohibitively expensive for him to travel to another town to learn English. The other woman, Ms Ali, was of Yemeni origin, and she had gone to live in Yemen from 2006 to 2008. There she met the man she later married, and she returned to marry him in 2010. He had had no formal education at all and was unable to read or write. He was not familiar with the Western alphabet. In each case, the women wanted their husbands to come and live with them in the UK, but it was reasonable to suppose that their husbands had no real prospect of passing an English language test. The initial proposal for the English language test had been made in 2007 in a document entitled Securing the UK Border, Our Vision and Strategy for the Future. This had a specific chapter concerning marriage partners from overseas and among other concerns such as forced marriages identified a lack of English language as a key problem, especially for marriage partners from India, Pakistan and Bangladesh. The English language test itself was introduced in 2010. Along with the requirement came certain guidance to border control officers as to when they could exercise their discretion to waive the test. Essentially, it was stated that they could only waive the test in exceptional circumstances. This guidance was amended over time and is relevant to how this case was decided. The guidance that was issued in 2011 included the following paragraph, open quotation, Discretion should be exercised only in cases where there are the most exceptional, compelling and compassionate circumstances, specifically relating to the ability of the applicant to meet the language requirement. Circumstances should be assessed on a case-by-case basis. The expectation is that use of the exceptional compassionate circumstances exception will be rare. Financial reasons will not be acceptable. End of quotation. In 2015, the following sentence was included in the guidance, open quotation, lack of or limited literacy or education will not be accepted as exceptional circumstances, end of quotation. In other words, the test could not be waived for financial reasons, which clearly applied to Ms. Bibi's husband in Pakistan, who was precluded from taking an English language course, and it could not be waived where there was a lack of educational literacy, which clearly applied to Ms. Ali's husband in Yemen. Both women challenged the English language test requirement. They were unsuccessful before the High Court, they appealed unsuccessfully to the Court of Appeal, and the matter ended up before the Supreme Court. 
The key issue on the appeal was whether the English language test requirement was in breach of the European Convention on Human Rights, and in particular, the right to family life. The test was whether, first of all, there was a legitimate aim to the measure, secondly, whether there was a rational connection between the measure and the aim it sought to establish, thirdly, whether a less intrusive means was available to fulfil the necessary requirement, and finally, whether a fair balance was struck between any infringements of rights under the Convention and the measure being introduced. The lead judgment, as I said, was delivered by Lady Hale. In submissions, the Home Department had said that there were six aims to the English language test requirement. Number one, to assist the partner's integration into British society at an early stage. Number two, to improve their employment chances, given that they have access to the labour market as soon as they arrive. Number three, to raise awareness of the importance of language and to prepare for tests they will need to pass for settlement. Number four, to save on translation costs. Uh, this is presumably translation costs for the state, but possibly also for the spouse in question. Number five, to benefit any children the couple might have. And number six, to reduce the vulnerability of newly arrived spouses, especially women. In other words, the stated aim of the test was to assist the proposed immigrants rather than to attempt to exclude non-English speakers from the UK. Lady Hale accepted this at face value, as did all of the judges, and she determined that there was a legit legitimate aim to the measure being imposed. She said, open quotation, the evidence therefore leads to the conclusion that the rule does have a legitimate aim, or a series of aims, all linked to the promotion of integration, and with it the larger aim of community cohesion, and that the aim is sufficiently important to justify interfering with the fundamental right to respect for the family life of British citizens or persons settled here who wish to be joined here by partners from overseas." End of quotation. She accepted without demur that there was a rational connection between the measure and the aim, and that there was no less intrusive means available to fulfil the necessary re requirement. In the relation to the last question, however, whether a bal fair balance had been struck, she looked very closely at the guidance that had been pro provided to border control officers. She took the view that these might be in breach of the right to family life. Accordingly, she refused the primary relief sought and held that the English language test requirement was not an infringement of the right to family life. However, she acknowledged that there were problems with the guidance and indicated that she would like to grant a declaration that it was or might be in breach of the Convention and that she wished further submissions as to how such a declaration might be worded. In concurring judgments, Lord Hodge and Lord Neuberger both agreed with the primary conclusion. Each of them expressed dissatisfaction with the guidance. Lord Hodge said that he did not think it was appropriate that a declaration be made on the issue of the guidance, while Lord Neuberger agreed that further submissions should be made on the subject. I have two concerns about this decision. The first may be a little fanciful, but it does seem to me inappropriate that the test was only for the English language. Welsh, Scots, Gaelic and Irish are all spoken in the UK and Ulster Scots is recognised as a language under the Good Friday Agreement. It might be hard to imagine any immigrant who could speak any of those languages without being able to speak English as well, but it would seem appropriate that those languages at least be recognised for immigration purposes. The second and more important concern is that the alleged aims of the English language test are clearly entirely bogus. If the immigration authorities wanted to, to integrate non-English speaking spouses and partners, they would admit them to the country and give them the tuition in the UK. The purposes of making them sit a test prior to entering the country 
is clearly to keep them out of the country. This must have been clear to the learned judges of the Supreme Court, but they chose to look the other way. Thank you very much for listening to this programme. If you have any comments, please see the Starry Decisis Radio Facebook page or Twitter account. And if you have enjoyed this programme, please tell your friends and colleagues about Starry Decisis Radio.